0: Welcome everyone to the Energy One Podcast, the show that takes you inside the dynamic world of energy. Join us as you explore the latest trends, technologies, and innovations shaping the industry today. We're here to uncover the stories that drive progress and sustainability in this critical field. I'm your host, Marion Suzuki, and this is the Energy One Podcast. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Energy One Podcast. Today, we will learn about introchemical systems with the man who discovered them, Dr. Sansa Kazadi. As an entrepreneur and inventor, Dr. Kazati is pioneering cooling solutions that leverage the heat in the air itself as an energy source. His groundbreaking technology not only reduces the electrical power needed for cooling, but it also brings refrigeration to places where it was previously unavailable. Dr. Kazadi tells us how it all started, how it's going, and what new exciting things he sees for our future. Let's jump right in. Hello, Dr. Kazadi. Welcome on in. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So uh, let's get right into it. Could you begin by telling us a bit about your background? What led you to start your career as an innovator and entrepreneur?
1: Well, basically, I didn't start out wanting to become an entrepreneur. I started out wanting to become a scientist. So I went to school and studied physics and then studied computation and neural systems with the goal of becoming a professor at some point. But along the way, I had to make money. Like everybody else, I was a poor student. Well, not everybody's a poor student. But anyway, I was a poor student. And so I had to make a little bit of money. And that led me down the path of starting my very first company.
0: And uh, that kind of got me started on the entrepreneurial pathway. Thank you for sharing your background. So this episode, we have a lot to unpack. Let us begin by laying the groundwork before we go into any deeper questions. To our listeners at home who may not have an extensive knowledge in thermodynamics, how would you explain what an entrochemical system is? Okay, so an entrochemical system is an
1: open energy system that is capable of using environmental heat as an energy source. And it does this by using properties of entropy and chemistry, hence the name entrochemical. So the idea is that. In our Earth's system, we have an atmosphere which contains a lot of heat energy. A lot of people think that it's cold when it's at freezing, but it's really quite warm. It's at 273 degrees Kelvin, and that's a lot of energy that we have available. And of course, when it's above freezing, it's warmer than that. So what we can do is we can use the energy in the air to change properties of salt solutions. In such a way that the salt solution has what's called less, what's called less entropy, so it's a less randomized state. And that means, in practical terms, that the salt solution is more concentrated than it was before we started using the environmental thermal energy. And because we have that capability, we can then take that salt solution and use it with other water supplies to generate thermal gradients which can then be used to generate work. Those thermal gradients basically mean that one side of our device has a different temperature than the other side of the device. And because they have different temperatures, you can use them to do different kinds of work. And so you put these two things together and you have a way of using energy that's in the air to make it possible for you to do work but it's an open system, of course. The way that you use the heat in the air is that you evaporate water from your salt solution, which means, of course, you have to add more water to the system. And that's also a part of the definition of entrochemical. So it's an open system that takes water and uses environmental heat to be able to do work. I hope that's clear.
0: This mechanism is at the heart of some of your inventions, is that right? Yes, it is. How did you manage to apply this technology and turn it into a solution? Well, At the heart of it, this system
1: is similar to a technology. uh, In fact, I could even say it's just another name for a technology known as an open sorption system. And a sorption system is something where you use different concentration gradients to create thermal gradients. Once you have a thermal gradient, there are a lot of things you can do with that thermal gradient. If you have a device that maintains that Thermal gradient. So one side is colder than the other side. Then you can move heat from a colder area to a warmer area. So you can use it as a heater. You can also move heat out of a colder area into a warmer area. So you can use it as a cooler. We all have these things in our houses. They're air conditioners and refrigeration and also heaters in a sense, if you're using a heat pump as a heater. There are other things you can do uh, when you're moving heat from one point to another, you're also in our systems moving water from one part of the system to another. And that movement of water enables you to generate mechanical work. So you can move turbines and you can push pistons and that type of thing. And when you can do those things, you can couple those to other machines that are able to do different kinds of work. So that's the basic idea behind the way in which you use this technology
0: to do various things what are some of the challenges that you came across while developing these technologies? How did you overcome them? Well, for
1: me, this was a very new area when I started. So I started my career working on systems called evolutionary computational systems and swarm engineering systems. And those were computational systems are systems that run on computers and we use evolution to kind of design things. And then swarms are generally thought of as lots and lots of robots kind of working together to do complicated things. For me, moving into these thermodynamic systems was a result of realizing that some of the theory around the robot systems that I was working on translated nicely to thermodynamic systems. And so it was really just kind of an interesting problem to kind of look at that led me to kind of down this path. And there are a lot of Pieces of like kind of tools in the tool belt that I didn't have that someone who had started in that area might have had. So, for instance, I think the hardest problem for me and for my team has not really been understanding the theory or figuring out how these things should work, but the hardest part is really just building them because what's difficult for us is figuring out how to manufacture pieces that work reliably and consistently. And that involves choosing the right materials, choosing the right adhesives, choosing the right sealants. All of these things are part of the problem. And in fact, those
0: for us are the most complicated pieces of the puzzle at this point. Right. And can you share with us what are the next steps for Kazadi Enterprises and how much time do you think is needed until we see your technology in our homes and businesses?
1: Yeah. So one of the first projects that we're working on is... A refrigerator to replace retail grocery refrigerators, that because we're getting most of our energy from the heat in the air, we're not using a lot of electricity, so we can reduce the amount of electricity to by 90 percent. So that's the first product that we're kind of pushing on right now. And our goal is to have this technology fully working by February and then have it ready for our first pilots by June. That's our goal at this point. And so if everything goes well with those pilots, then by the end of the year, we'll probably see some of our very first sales. That's the end of the year 2024. We'll see our very first sales of refrigerators. And from then, it's just going to be a question of how quickly
0: can we scale up our company? It's pretty exciting. And following those sales, what impact do you hope that your technology will have in our lives and our environment?
1: Yeah. So I think at the base of The kind of the question for us, when we started thinking about this technology and we realized that there was this kind of rich literature around sorption refrigeration out there, which when we started the project I was completely unaware of. The question for us was whether or not you could drive that same refrigerator using environmental heat as opposed to a conventional method which was using either electricity or some type of combustion to drive the system And of course, the answer for us was, yes, you can drive that. And for me, this really means that it is possible to take an energy resource, which until recently, we've gone through these arguments over the years that, you know, this resource is unavailable to us. And if you look at the arguments people have made based on thermodynamics, you know, those arguments are actually correct, except that they miss one tacit assumption, and that is that our energy system on the Earth is closed. And if it is closed, then using heat from the air as an energy source isn't a viable possibility. But in fact, our Earth system is not a closed energetic system, as we all know. It gets warm during the day, and it gets cold at night, and there's this energy flux through our Earth system. And I think at the base of it, what I I'm hoping the impact is going to be is that people will kind of think about the way that you can acquire and use energy differently. We are actually living in a system, walking through a highly energetic you know, environment. And that energy is in fact available to us if we have the right mechanisms to access it. And I think that's really what I want people to kind of understand and the impact that I hope people will take away from this is that there are more ways to get energy than plugging into a wall socket. It is possible to get much of the energy that we are trying to use in our daily lives for the things that we do on a daily basis by harvesting it from the energy that is in the environment that we all already live in. So that's kind of the impact that I'm hoping we have. And once we have that impact, I'm hoping that a lot of people will say to themselves, well, how do I create you know, appliance A or appliance B or appliance C, and take advantage of this energetic process so that we can improve things like our resilience to climate change, reliability of our energy systems, and also our independence, and in a sense, our individual wealth. Because if we're not having to pay for energy that we use for some of the things in our lives, or at least not having to pay as much, then we're wealthier.
0: Sounds incredible. We have a bright future to hope for. It's really impressive the way that your team is able to extract energy just from the day and night cycle alone and be able to put that energy into something actually benefiting humanity. That is what we're trying to do, yes. Now, as we near the end of our episode, we'll shift our questions onto a more casual tone. We'd like to ask you about your time at the Chicago Climate Week that happened in October of this year. How was your experience? Did you attend some interesting events? Yeah, that
1: <laughs> that was a great event. I really enjoyed it. It was a much of a blur for me because I ended up pitching my company, I think, four or five times, and you know, I was going from event to event to event. I think the highlight for me was standing on the main stage on that Thursday morning and giving my pitch
0: in front of 400 people. That was a lot of fun. Sounds like it was a great time. So, are there any upcoming projects that you are particularly excited about? Well, as I said,
1: we're moving towards our pilot projects, which I'm super excited about. Those pilot projects are going to provide cooling systems for, well, a couple of liquor stores to begin with. And then also, surprisingly, vertical farms. There are three vertical farms that are interested in using a modified version of our refrigerators. They're much bigger and they run at higher temperatures to help them basically grow crops. And I'm really excited about that because I also believe that vertical farming is one of those technologies that we should lean into as a society, given what's happening with our climate. So those are coming up next year, probably in second quarter of
0: next year. We have that to look forward to. I understand that you have a wide range of patents and scientific papers under your name. Could you tell us what motivates you to explore such diverse areas and develop new technologies like you have done so far?
1: Well, I think, first of all, I'm curious. I think a lot of the people I spend time with are also quite curious. And I don't like to be confined by one area of interest. There are a lot of interesting things in the world and I like to kind of look at a lot of different things. I think professionally, because I started my first company right out of college and it was a research lab that generated its own money, so we didn't have to go out and get grants to do the research that we were doing. I had a lot of freedom to look into a lot of different things as I became interested in them. And so that made it pretty easy for me to kind of inculcate myself in this culture where I can go down a lot of rabbit holes. I really do value that because a lot of the solutions that appear in one area of science can come from other areas that are really completely independent until you realize that there's this kind of unknown connection. So having the ability and, you know, freedom to kind of look into all of those different things that come up that are interesting to me has been part of kind of my personal
0: culture. Yeah. The more disciplines that you have in your tool belt, the easier it is to come up with solutions, right?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it was interesting, you know, just as an example, we were working on this technology and we were trying to create these arrays of thermal gradient devices. And the data coming out of the lab was confusing and it definitely wasn't working the way we expected it to work. And then I remember I was reading this paper on an aspect of climate change, which was talking about how there were freshwater lakes inside of our saltwater ocean, you know, before the ice built up on the poles during the kind of last inter-ice age period. And I started thinking about that. And I realized that something like that was occurring inside of our devices. And when we dealt with that, the devices suddenly started working perfectly. So that's just a beautiful kind of illustration of the fact that something that seems to be completely different and independent of what we're doing in the lab can
0: oftentimes be exactly what we need to determine a solution. Nice. Thank you for sharing. So let's wrap up with a few closing questions before we finish the episode. Dr. Kazati, would you like to recommend a few books, movies, or even some shows to our listeners today? So I think for the younger audiences, my
1: go-to for shows is always going to be Star Trek. And by Star Trek, I mean, you know, the original 1960s show, the 1980s and 1990s shows, even the early 2000s shows. I think for me, these shows had a kind of almost an innocence and you know, a wonder about them, a questioning of, you know, assumptions that I really enjoy and I really valued when I was growing up and I still value today. And those shows also are full of this kind of wonder that every scientist, I think, needs to have to be really, really effective. You have to kind of have this awe of the systems and kind of the universe and the way it works. And those were really, really well captured in those shows. Yeah,
0: I think I'll go with shows for now. <laughs> in terms of books, I think it's pretty eclectic. Yeah, that's no problem. I also have to admit something that uh, might anger a couple of our listeners. I have never seen Star Trek in all my years. <laughs> Everyone talks about it around me, but I've never seen it, unfortunately. I have to change that one day. Well, I recommend it, and it's
1: probably not what you expect. I will say that. like, if Especially if you're watching The 1960s shows, aside from the cringeworthiness of some of the cultural aspects of this being in the 1960s, it was super thoughtful in
0: ways that you'll probably be interested in. I'll have to give it a look sometime. Dr. Cazzetti, thank you for the recommendation. So now for our final and most thought-provoking question yet. Imagine you're speaking to a room full of young scientists and engineers passionate about renewable energy and sustainability. What is the one message you want to leave them with? I think the most important thing that I would say, well, I guess there are two things. First
1: of all, question your assumptions. You know, find out what you think of the universe which hasn't been challenged and challenge it. Find out what you know or what you can know that other people have decided is impossible. That's one of the things that, you know, working with young kids is really good at. You know, kids don't have any predetermined ideas about how the universe works? and they are willing to try a lot of different things that more seasoned scientists won't? Because we, of course, all know that whatever it is doesn't work. And so I would say question that, like find that youth. And the other thing is that I think, you know, one of the things that I kind of cling to for myself is this idea that every person matters on the planet. Every person can make a difference in the way history unfolds. And for those of us who are trying to make a difference in the technology space, this means that, you know, every person can find a way to change the way technology unfolds on our planet in a way that makes it a better place to live for everybody. And I think if everybody kind of understands and believes that, then we have a lot more opportunities available for us in the long run. Right now, we're at a point in our history as a species where we need lots of ideas because I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that our survival as a species depends on us solving the climate crisis. I would even go so far as to say full stop You know, with that one. We need as many people with as many different ideas as possible. And we need people to think outside of the box. And by that, I mean, don't you know necessarily believe what everybody says when they tell you this is the one way in which we're going to solve everything, because no solution has only one problem. So <laughs> just join the ranks of the people with lots of different ideas, and
0: believe that you have a way to change the world, because you do. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your words, Dr. Kazadi. And now for our listeners who are still keen to learn more or perhaps get in touch, what is the best way to reach out to you or Kazadi Enterprises? I think the easiest way is by email. So. You can either email me directly
1: at skazadi at or you can go to our website and fill out a web form. It's, our website is kazadienterprises.com.
0: So, either way works for me. Hey, great. And uh, per usual, we'll have all the links and other information in our show notes. Now, we're ready to wrap up this episode. Uh, Dr. Kazadi, thank you so much for joining the show and for sharing your insights with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey. Stay curious, and I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Energy One Podcast. Stay connected and join the conversation. Reach out to us at info at energyonepodcast.com. Join us next time as we keep exploring this industry and the brilliant minds that make it all possible.